back welcome once again to another episode of mike mike and oscar uh this is gonna be something we're both in rare forms already i am your co-host mike one co-host also mike here as we bring you another oscar race checkpoint chock full of news and information uh this time from within and on the outskirts of the oscars race michael yeah we'll start with some trailer reviews she said uh marcel the shell with she shells she shed uh gonna be the tongue twister by the seashore award of the season of the season i should say Uh, and uh yeah keep that up for 80 minutes i uh i wanna i wanna make a lot more tongue twister jokes and i will write them for the rest of this season uh no doubt about it but for now we got to get down to business because we got a couple oscar trailers we got or one oscar trailer and one movie that we hope is an oscar trailer and we got a bunch of movies that you're gonna catch up on and that i'm gonna update the people about some new movies this past weekend because i saw all the fifi films i can't believe you i can well once you see two you might as well see the four of them that's an unbelievable overstatement (laughs) that applies to very few people i loved every second of it (laughs) and i'm going to uh review these four movies and then uh yeah we got a like a smorgasbord of uh Oscar adjacent stories that we'll react mm-hmm. to, and you will react to some of them in real time. So, the most Oscar y story is that the Halloween Ends trailer seems to have had its <laughs> debut date. Obviously, we can start there, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. The 20th of July, uh, is this, you know, simultaneous with the premiere of Nope? Mike, when is Nope premiering? None of our friends have reviewed it yet. What's going on with Nope? We had somebody, uh, comment that the 18th is when the the red carpet premiere or the debut the okay. the screening is for nope so i and i don't know if i haven't been able to find i don't know if that's verifiable so if anyone out there is listening and knows let us know but the 18th would be when this episode drops anyway which would be tomorrow as we record this on the 17th right that would be monday the 18th so it makes a lot of sense you cracked that code last orc you think that they were holding it out because the universal tie-in between what monkey paw does with nope and with well, what blumhouse does with halloween they're both tied to universal for those uh distribution of those movies of nope and halloween ends so it'd make a lot of sense that halloween ends this trailer is tied into nope in some frame or fashion or fashion speaking is going to be something today uh fame frame or fashion yes uh i don't know i mean that makes sense i'm still weary of it i'm weary about nope being so tight-lipped with so few days to go until it's uh worldwide debut like you're hinting at there i'm worried about halloween the ends trailer taking about a month off the pace of when we got the Halloween kills trailer from last year. I'm worried about a lot of things having to do in the horror realm right now. They were moving the things around with Halloween kills, weren't they? Or they, they, they definitely shuffle it around to Paramount or the Peacock, right? Or Paramount Peacock. I can't remember. It's Peacock. Yeah. Universal's Peacock. So we have, did we have a fixed date for that? That was always going to be that date for Halloween kills. I can't remember. God, that's a good question. Because if it was moving around, that month wiggle room time makes some sense. But maybe they didn't get the play on the trailer as much as they wanted to, figured to push it back. I don't know. Well, that was a day and day, right? Peacock at the last second kind of slid in and said, hey, we're going to just run it on theaters and at home. Yes. So I guess, yeah, there's there's a history of playing with these things. I I would think still Universal is going to want that to, or is expecting that anyway, to be a $200 million 
box office worldwide. And I tell you, I take a little issue with the fact that everybody's like, whoa, the bankable movies are leaving theaters now and we have nope, which to you and me and all of film Twitter for certain, and I think a lot of people out there, that's like the most anticipated film of the year. Mm-hmm. Aren't we all going to show up for that on opening night? But here's my question. Are, are you getting worried that it's not premiering until two days beforehand or... Is this a vote of confidence for you? Is this Jordan Peele playing games? Is this Universal worried? What do you think? I'm always worried when it's so tight-lipped and there's no screenings available to critics until a couple days or so, and the embargo is, you know, so up against the actual debut date. That usually, I mean, if you play the odds historically, doesn't signify a lot of faith by the studio into what they have there, but it's Jordan Peele. He hasn't disappointed yet, so I'm I'm guardedly optimistic still i will have my hopes up until he proves otherwise well let's steal our hearts to tongue twisters further tongue twisters here and review (laughs) this trailer for she said because this is coming out in the thick of the oscar season november 18th or at least the oscar distribution season that is with uh you know director mia schrader uh writer rebecca lenkiewicz uh starring zoe kazan and carrie mulligan mike what do you think of this trailer? There's a lot of divisive reviews on it, shockingly to me. I don't get that. It doesn't scream best picture contender like I thought it might, but to me, it, I mean, this looks like a player for any kind of performance awards all throughout the season, and it definitely has Oscars legs, and the release date, I think, is November 18th, which is going to have all kinds of Oscars implications. I don't get, if this is handled in the way in which these types of films have been handled, your bombshells, your spotlights. I mean, if it's at all cinematic, I think it's going to be a player on some level, whether it's SAGs or Oscars. I mean, Mike, I think they cut a terrific trailer. I mean, this one bounces back and forth between, you know, protagonists, journalists, and Mm -hmm. antagonism uh, coming from all of the naysayers in the business at the time. Everything they say, there's a counterpoint to. They do a nice job of building that up and and showing the overwhelming opposition that there was for them at the time. And then he is terrifying, especially that, you know, profile from the back. Ugh. And it was it was a really scary situation with all his fixers and handlers and, you know, creepy meetings at coffee shops and dark restaurants and guys saying, do you want me to die? You know, do you want me to be killed or whatever? I mean, it, I thought it was an ominous trailer that hits the beats of all these journalist hero movies from, you know, the uh, the original. Uh, why am I blanking on the Dustin Hoffman, uh, Robert Redford? President's right now. Men. All the all President's, President's men, men, excuse me. Of course, the OG, and then you know, leading into all these films like Bombshell, The Post, and uh, of course, uh, Spotlight. I think it's hitting those 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 notes for certain, and it's just a well composed version of that. I, I thought it's inspiring, and and it's hitting some you know goosebump moments as well. The, you're right though; that you don't get the big over the top Mark Ruffalo screaming about, but right. it's the kids, and <laughs> they knew, and they did nothing. But we let it happen. We let yeah. it happen, <laughs> except in a mass hole accent Mm -hmm. and you you get subdued performances here like these journalists probably are in real life yeah there's i also appreciate we don't it's this isn't the harvey weinstein movie you know this is the victims movie this is the stories movie when you have something like roger ailes you kind of 
you know, everybody knows the Weinstein story and they are familiar with at least anyone who would care enough about the, the movie industry. They know who Harvey Weinstein is already and they know the monster and what he did. Whereas the Roger Ailes, the spotlight thing, I thought it was important to have a stand in for Roger Ailes. And that's what John Lithgow was, because he was a little lesser known, certainly at least in this space. So you have that kind of stand in that proxy uh, for that monster to put a face to it uh, a little bit. I like the idea that we don't get, you know, this isn't about whoever's playing Harvey, at least not in this preview, this first look of it. It's not about whoever is the monster. It's about the monster's actions and the fallout from it and the accountability and how difficult it is to hold people in power accountable in this space. I agree. Uh, However, I would say you can't be sure that that's not Daniel Day-Lewis under a fat suit. (laughs) Neither can I. So Fair. Uh, now we shouldn't make light of anything with this trailer because obviously this is going to be a serious movie and I am fascinated by the reaction of Hollywood and certainly the elite of the elite with the Academy. If this movie is great, will they pick it for awards when in fact it's going to criticize much of the industry at large, especially the emeritus you know, level members of this Academy? This is going to be a strange scenario where if this movie is great and it and typically the genre plays to the older academy which we saw with spotlight in previous films michael this may be the opposite of that where a younger audience will and a younger academy and a newer academy will put, send their votes behind she said i think it could be divisive amongst branches too like i could see the producers having the pga having a tough time with this whereas the the sag the the screen actors guild eats it up and the Screen Actors Guild, you know, always tend to be, or at least we think, tend to be more progressive anyway. And I could see them being like, yes, this is right. This is what should have happened. Good good for you, holding this monster accountable. I would have done the same thing. Whereas the Producers Guild were probably the ones more in touch with Harvey Weinstein on a day-to-day basis. And they could see the story being obfuscated. And that's not how that happened. And that's not how it went and blah, blah, blah. So it'll be interesting to see when uh, Guild time comes, too, what this movie does. I am intrigued by some of the supporting actresses, though, Michael. We have Patricia Clarkson, and she's leveling us with the opening, you know, salvo about mm-hmm. uh, about these types of cases. And then you have Andre Brower from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I wish I picked him in our 100% way too early. Tone perfect in this trailer. But you have Jennifer Ale of St. Maud. I thought she was extraordinary in St. Maud two years ago. And Samantha Morton, who's clearly been nominated twice in America. Uh, of course, Minority Report. She's had a quite, a, quite a career playing character parts where I think the, the victim characters in this may have more opportunities to, to shine in terms of their performance art here. You never know. I don't know. But, yeah. uh, you know, Tom Pelfrey's going to show up in here. Sean Cullen from Michael Clayton. Uh, obviously, you know, the subdued, level-headed performances from Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if they're going to knock people over by the end of the day or if they're going to be so nuanced that they're undeniable. Or if, unfortunately, a movie like this, which probably needs probably needs some performers involved to make the Oscars case at the end of the day, end of the day uh, unless it's a you know adapted screenplay hero and an editing hero perhaps it, it, you know what else is it going to do down the card probably not much so it's going to need no some it's carried by its performances yeah I agree with that I agree with that at least that's how it seems where do you stand on the preview before the preview for the preview trend that's been taking over these trailers we get the snippet of one of the high points for the first five seconds of the trailer before we get the opening of the trailer within the trailer. Well, I think they're trying to get you to watch the trailer. 
and uh-huh. probably it, a safe bet. <laughs> I, but if I've clicked on the trailer already, do I need right the last? That's second? what I'm saying. I'm here. <laughs> like, what if they said something terrible during that <laughs> and makes me not want to watch the trailer? Now, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. I probably don't need it. And it was a nice moment that they really built up to, and it gave mm-hmm. you goosebumps during the actual playing of the trailer. So, yeah, you probably don't need that out there, I'm folks. With you. Doesn't make sense. But, okay, let's move on. <laughs> Very different trailer. Uh, the uh, horror film that will start off the month of August for us. It's yeah. second trailer. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Michael, this first look, or the first look we had on Bodies, 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 was much more kind of millennials versus Gen Z, at least in my mind. It, feel, it felt okay. like us millennials making a movie about the Gen Zers and laughing at all their whiny, all their whiny contrarianness, which was funny. And That's interesting. I didn't get that vibe, but okay. Rachel Sennett's char- character in particular was very whiny. And maybe I'm it's, just... just It's the, crazy how good she is at that character, too. But Yeah, yeah no. maybe I'm just a millennial and therefore the Gen Zers. Uh, <laughs> I, I love satirical... You know, quite frankly, change scares me. <laughs> this was not that trailer at all, though. I mean, no. do, do you admit that this is very different tonally? And what do you think? So Maria Bakalova is the killer, right? <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> That's the same think. thing. Right. <laughs> I mean, she's she's got a, a pretty heavy feature in this. This is a, a different. It's, it explains the rules of the game. It explains the horror a little bit more. It, it focuses a little more on the tension that's supposed to be there. But she's pretty heavily featured as like the... Uh, the new girl coming to this group of established friends already, and why is all this Always stuff happening? Play this game, and nobody yeah. ever gets hurt when they play the game. No, yeah, right. maybe. Uh, look, I mean, I think all the characters are held at arm's length. I do think it's quite the whodunit in terms of all the suspects. Yeah, I'm a little annoyed that they're kind of pointing the finger towards her indirectly. Could be a red herring, but yeah, I'm hoping this trailer is very much a red herring, and that we're left guessing, and then, you know. Through, throughout the film if it's a red herring it's not structured in the way other red herrings have been structured this seems like they're trying to hide the fact that they want you to not think it's maria bakalova she's either final girl or right killer i guess or bo- you can't be both really right unless you have like a uh, an identity situation on your hands i guess <laughs> There's a couple movies that I'm not going to spoil them right now, actually. Uh, yeah, everybody's seen Identity. No, not that was identity. on TNT yeah, 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 forever. Yeah. Well, but that that doesn't even fit. That Was that true? I forget this twist with that, but yes, you're right. It was right. all in that guy's and, head. Yeah. No, you're wrong. And uh, there's a couple more, especially French movies. For the French, like, did, did a Frenchman write this movie? We're going to have to... <laughs> French I'll tell you who's, who's laughing all the way to the bank, though, right now. It might be... Uh, Sony, because Bullet Train, if this is going to be Bullet Train's biggest competition at the box office for that two-week spread right there, there's not a lot going on in early August at the box office, and Bullet Train has all the marketing in the world behind it. I think that movie's going to make buku bucks, and right now, if you go on IMDb, Bodies, 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 at last check for me, it was under a 1,000 reviews, I think, but it was like a 5.1. So what do you think that means, though, with the new IMDb voter? I don't, I have no idea. Is it ballot somebody, stuffing? Was it Woj? Somebody tweeted to us and was like, it doesn't surprise me because IMDb seems to be more conservative, and this seems to be a much more Gen Z-leaning property. So if anyone that, you know, the elder statesman got their hands on it, they weren't a fan of it. I guess that makes sense. But I'm, I don't know. I'm guessing that's coming into play here. I wonder how much more we should be citing IMDb mm. odds going forward. And that's something you said to me yeah. months ago. 
uh, it's a weird. Fun. It's turning into a weird uh, landscape over there. I, I don't get what's going on, but I, I'm starting to think some of the trolls that were overpowering Rotten Tomatoes are now yeah. switching their, you know, their ballot stuffing, rat effing, whatever yeah. they're doing. But still, look, I, I still like this trailer. I don't like it as much as the first one. I thought the first one had a lot of comedy to it. I think this one, they're playing on the whodunit angle. So I guess if you put both trailers together and that's the movie we get, I'm in. But I'm still excited to see it. Yeah. No, we're, we, we got a guest lined up. We're happy about that for yeah. this one. And uh, we will be reviewing Bodies, Bodies, Bodies just as a cool horror movie. that I, I think we need our fix on one of those. Uh, well, August is always that time, right? We get yeah. the, the, the off-base and off-the-beaten-path horror movies that we like to dive into before we get into the Oscar sprint there at the end. Yeah, and maybe we'll get two. Maybe we'll get Nope this week that's, uh, you know, transcend. I'm so sorry, I'm not going to finish that. How dare you? I'm not going to finish that dare you? sentence. <laughs> but I really, I really want Nope to be great. Damn it. Oh, this is like Thor Love and Thunder. I talked myself down from it. Now am I talking myself down from Nope, or am I really going to be disappointed if nope is not good that's that's where i'm at right now i'm really scared for nope i'm very worried i'm freaking the hell out just why i asked you all these leading questions there's going to be some subtext i mean you can at least you you can rest easy at night knowing you're going to get something that you're going to have to think about from nope which is nice what do you think about jordan peele with the full beard the disguised filmmaker voice like he's got this it's almost like he's he, he's all talked out. He's talked so much on the movie with all the, <laughs> you know, the press junkets and whatnot. Because I'm listening to some of these interviews. And he's lost his voice. He sounds like an old, wise sage. <laughs> Doesn't sound like Jordan Peele. I don't understand it. Like, he just seems like this shaman wise man. <laughs> it's, he's just losing his life force. It's, he's got this movie is his Mjolnir to his uh, Natalie Portman character. <laughs> Absolutely, I don't. I don't understand. It's like a different dude. He's got this big white David Letterman beard. <laughs> good, it's absolutely bizarre. It's a good look for him. Why not? I I'm rooting for him like no other. He's been you know from from the start of our podcast with Get Out and then mm-hmm. us. You know, one of the few directors that's just been an event film every time. And I wonder if we should, I mean, are we jinxing it by not doing a guest the plot, by not making this more of an event for us necessarily? I think going into Get Out and Us, we had an idea what we were getting into thematically. Whether or not we were right or even close to right is a different story. But like we had not, this one, I don't, you know, yeah, it's alien invasion, but I have no idea where Horse Lady sitting in the middle of the stands looking up at the sky fits into that. Well, did you hear his, okay, so you didn't hear his interview. So the original title for nope mm-hmm. was little green men and it was a you know it was a satirical thing about the about it was a double meaning about guys on the money the presidents on the money and he's got all of these like shysters car- carnies or whatever you know Stephen yun's character is trying to take money from people in the in the area with those shows that they're doing or whatever the magician shows maybe I don't know. I th- is is there? The hell, but the, what does that mean? What does that? Where does that fit into? Is there some kind of commentary on media and you know the the need to get this video of the saucer or whatever? You know. Now. Here's what I know for certain mm-hmm. from the vid- from the behind the scenes videos I've watched and, and promo videos and stuff. Steven Yeun does not care about being famous. That's the only thing I can say for certain because in that Vanity Fair video, he's with uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer and somebody else I can't remember, but like. They're all dressed up, and you can see they. And Stephen Ewan's there in like a white t-shirt and slacks, and he's got a shaved head. He doesn't want to be there. Hmm. God bless him. 
Hope nothing but the best happens to him in the rest of his life. He's the man. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the box office uh, for a minute. We have Thor: Love and Thunder, forty six million, dropping a heavy sixty eight percent, which is more than Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and Black Widow. Michael, now it's around five hundred million cumulative worldwide and a two thirty three DBO. I know that's in line with other Marvel properties as far as like it's, it's third weekend in theaters or, or second weekend, whatever it is. It's not a good thing, but that number being under half a billion still, while you're getting only 40 million domestically on a weekend, where's that going to settle? I still thought over a billion last week, but I don't know that I think that anymore. No, it's going to be under. It's going to be more like uh, Doctor Strange, maybe 850, 900, yeah. which, which tracks with Ragnarok. Ragnarok was what, 850? Was it was it eight hundred? I forget, but uh, that that makes some sense. And it, you know, maybe it's a disappointment that it wasn't the Spider-Man No Way Home level thing. But uh, yeah, I think Thor: Love and Thunder definitely an under on our projections. We had higher hopes for it, and they can't be thrilled. The Marvel fatigue is is real, as Eric Weber keeps talking about in Midnight Movie Talk. I wonder if this is kind of their frivolous season and we're going to get back to stakes. We'll kind of, you know, put a pin in that conversation for the end of the episode with all the mm. casting news. It's got to be worrisome, too, that he's one of the, you know, of the original big three for the MCU. He's the one still going, the Thor character, and he can't even hit a billion right now. I mean, it's it's still making money. I mean, that's the thing. It's still making a lot of money. Right, I, right, obviously, sure. I, I mean, think that uh, international Marvel's number, not in danger of closing anytime soon. Right. Yeah. The international number would be up there much higher with a uh, with a Chinese box office. But, of course, that is probably aggravating turn of events there. Uh, Minions came in second. $25 million on the weekend. Crawdads, Where the Crawdads Sing, was projected 9 or 10, and it made 17. And I'm going to review it in a little bit. But this makes sense to me because my theater was packed, Michael. How was that song? It was good. I stayed for some of it, and it was good. And... <laughs> <laughs> Not the whole thing, though. No, the movie feels like a four-hour movie. It's, oh, it's perfect. only a two-hour movie, but it feels perfect. double the time. Uh, yeah, that uh, that review was is not going to be all that positive, FYI. <laughs> but it's not a it's not a terrible movie. I won't say that much. Uh, Top Gun Maverick was twelve million. Elvis uh, around eight. Pause of Furious DOA only with six. Yeah, the Black That's Phone sad. with five. Dominion with five. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Not a lot of screens, but still around two million there. Lightyear about a million. Marshall the Shell with shoes on. 550k at only 153 theaters so that should you know grow we don't know what the gray man you know grossed at however many theaters that did in a limited release does this top 10 give you uh confidence in the specialty box office or let's just say the quantity of films box office that we're getting throughout august and, and later july because we do get like three or four you know, films going wide almost every week. They're just not the big tentpole style films. Yeah, but even the big tentpole ones aren't doing like gaga numbers right now, except for Top Gun. Top Gun was a huge smash, but I, I think, you know, Minions is going to make good money. Thor is going to make good money. Crawdads, if if that $26 million budget is true, which I've read all, all week, then Crawdads is a, a well on its way. 
even though you know we thought it was a seventy million dollar budget because that's what that's was what listed. that's what yeah that's what was listed on Wikipedia a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, I know Wikipedia is Wikipedia, but they're still citing sources on that. You know, Elvis is at one seventy million. You know, worldwide total. That's probably you know going to hang around for a while because it's uh it's holding very well like Top Gun because it's got the older audience that continues to just take their time, mosey out into theaters and see their movies. <laughs> Dominion's over nine hundred million. That's on its way to a billion. That's you know, yeah, it's. That sucks. Let's let's be honest. That sucks that that's going to hit a billion. For it sucks for me anyway. Lightyear only two hundred and twelve million. I don't know that you know Jurassic World Dominion is going to get there. Or, you don't how think it co- has another hundred million in it? I don't know because it came out earlier internationally. Again, we don't understand the international box office, but it's now on PVOD here, so it's not going to do much. The Black Phone and Jurassic World Dominion are now available at home for twenty bucks. Mm. What what else, what more is it going to do here? It's not going to do, you know, it's going to chip away a couple million every weekend maybe. It's very strange that Universal would would do that. They would stick with the tight windows domestically, especially when their movies are very profitable and doing well. Like The Black Phone. Is there any reason to release The Black Phone for 20 yeah. bucks at home no. beyond the whole marketing thing? I mean, you're, it's all it's all gravy as is, and there's not like it's not like there's a ton of other horror films, you know, in the market yet. You know, probably yeah, unless their hung. books are just telling them what they're telling them, and this is the profit. This is the way to profit with the uh, a short theatrical window, for, even though it's a theatrical exclusive. Maybe I maybe they don't care because it's one fourteen already. It's already made a ton of profit, and now yeah. they're maybe they're testing this out because they want it. Want, they want the best of both worlds, perhaps. But that's a str- that's a strange move to me. That doesn't make a ton of sense because a lot of the you know it might be a crossover hit if it made that you know level of uh, right. box office. In terms of the older audience, which might keep going to the theaters to go see it, I don't know. Are you going to be uh, opening night in Connecticut with uh, Marcel Deschel? No. <laughs> You've been hitting the opening night in the opening day with uh, your. We got the A list, man. foursome there. I go for free, so I'm not. It doesn't cost me a thing. That's not an excuse. <laughs> it's, I'm trying to make it an excuse because. Uh, I did enjoy myself, scarily so. But uh, let's do a Make the Case segment here. We want to catch up and and review some films, uh, and we want to to talk about the Oscar lens on these things. And I'll start with the Sea Beast, Michael, because... I wanted to watch this for this episode. How was it? I think it should be cemented in Best Animated Feature. To me, this is the second best animated film of the year next to Turning Red. Uh, It's got a wholesome message gorgeous message uh the animation is moana level it's huge spectacle with these titans in the water it's adorable with the kids and the characters you have lovable characters which is not easy to do it's not easy to do in these animated films to get you to love a character in like 85 minutes and i just i'm a huge fan of uh of these crossover adult kid movies and look it's not like pixar level great i'm giving it a solid b grade uh Mm -hmm. and it's a bit predictable but again i think the spectacle spectacle and the animation work really works the messaging works for me i I just i was uh, caught a little surprised 
that uh, thematically I agreed with the Sea Beast as much as I did. <laughs> well, I was going to be, you said it's a great adult kids movie. That was going to be my question. Is there stuff, are there goods here for parents to sit down and get something out of if they're watching with their kids? Yeah, I totally enjoyed it. I totally enjoyed it. And I don't want to give away too much, but uh, yeah, watch it. It's worth the watch. And uh, yeah, you won't be sorry. I mean, at the, at the very least, you're going to enjoy the big animation. Good. Happy to hear that. So the Sea Beast is something that, and, and props to our buddy Andrew Morgan there. He had that on something to give us a heads up a couple months ago, th- saying that Netflix could be a player in the animated feature race this year with that one, or he with did. one amongst those. Absolutely, and uh, I think uh, I think Netflix is going to have a lot of options, but they should they should try and focus uh, on a movie like that. that Hasn't has been Netflix's strong suit focus when it comes to award <laughs> season. Maybe not, but you know if they if they can read all of their algorithms they can get mm-hmm. this right at some point they can they can do it can they in... read their algorithms maybe they're just as confused as anybody and that's why we keep getting off like weird i always used obfuscated for the second time this episode that's how tired i am but maybe they just are equally confused by the numbers and the internal numbers they get from their programming that's why they keep releasing like the gray man was watched by 2.1 million people who used their left hand to cut a cucumber to make a homemade salad this week I didn't know the algorithms could do that, but how dare mm. I doubt them? Uh, Michael. You ever make a homemade salad by cutting a cucumber with your left hand, Mike? I love homemade salads when they have cucumbers in them. You love homemade salads? When they have cucumbers really? in them. Only. Can when I tell they- you something? Yeah. I, this is a firm belief of mine. Any salad you make at home, not you, but the, the royal you and you listener, you me, you anyone, any salad one person makes at their own home, I, I absolutely believe is shit. Look, if you have a big enough bowl, you're fine. And you no. Can, you could do a great I, I job. Disagree. If I make myself a salad here in my house, it will be shit compared to if you made a salad in your house and gave it to me. If anyone eats a salad from anywhere outside their home, it is better than the salad they make within their own home. I, fir- I will go to my grave on that hill. So you want to be surprised in your salads? I don't even thing? know if it's that. I just think I just think the quality is always going to be shit because it's your own ingredients versus what somebody. Yeah, so I guess I do want to be surprised. Sure, maybe you hit it on the head there. <laughs> do you put walnuts in there? Do you put like? I try everything, man. Croutons, <laughs> these glazed walnuts, fucking cranberries. I try it. It's just it's never exciting. Yeah, maybe you you got a. Maybe you got to go to Chick Fil A and get a salad once in a while, and get some. I can't do that because I like gay people. <laughs> <laughs> they do make a good salad, damn it. That's fine. I will not put patron that place. Yeah, that's probably a good point. Yeah, yeah <laughs> fuck Chick Fil A. All right, um, everywhere, every everything, everywhere, all at once is a movie that you're going to catch up on that I want to rewatch, and I should have rewatched it for this, but I got caught up in all these Fifi movies, Michael. I have to I have to know the extent of this because you were really happy with this film texting me about it. How much yeah. did you like this film? What's your grade? Maybe start out at the end. What's your grade on this movie? I'm bordering a 91. It's at least a 90. It's an A minus movie for me. It's the best movie of the year. Everybody's right. I mean, it's really, really good. The performances are really, really good. They're Oscars level good. The screenplay is Oscars level good. Everything about this movie is phenomenal it's heartwarming it's sad it's endearing it's relatable it could be relatable on a billion levels no matter what you're going through or how you relate to your family in your life or the people you consider to be your family i think there's anyone anyone can relate to this at any point in their life and i think that's one of the most important things when you're trying to tell this heartwarming story that a24 goes for here uh how they pulled this off and what i said to you 
is amazing. The Russo brothers being producers, I'm sure, helped. But this is the best Marvel movie in the last couple of years. So, who in the MCU is Jobu Topaki? <laughs> Let's just keep this. <laughs> I wish we knew, right? If we had that, maybe Phase Four wouldn't be such a problem that it is right now that we keep talking about. Jobu Topaki being there. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I, may, I might be Michelle yoing it, but I, you're right. I think crystallizing into one big bad is is very mm-hmm. helpful uh, in a, in a in a focused story, a, a story much more focused than I ever thought possible with all that crazy editing. Did it did it make you laugh as much as it wowed you with all the meta ness, or both? It made me it made me laugh at times, and it also. Like, even when it bordered on the absurdity with the everything bagel and all that, it's like, what are we, What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> they still pull it off. They pull it together, and it's at least coherent. So you aren't bored at any point in this, too, which for a two-and-a-half-hour movie is no small feat, as we keep talking about in this. But every one of the four main leads there, from Michelle Yeoh to Kei Kwan, Stephanie Su, James Hong, I think, should get consideration. I don't know where the consideration has been for Jamie Lee Curtis in supporting actress for her role in this. <laughs> She's phenomenal. She's great. And she's playing so many... Like, she goes from comedic to a horror villain at mm. times in this movie. I mean, she, her range is just as much as anyone else's in this film. But this should be dominating everyone's list right now for performances based on what we've seen in theaters. This is the best movie of the year. I'm thrilled to hear you say this. Uh, I'm shocked, really, because I thought for sure, based on the fact that everybody liked it... I did, too. I thought I was going to hate it. You would hate it. be let it. down. I... I I'm sh- I am I know for a fact that's why you've avoided it up till now. Yeah. I've recommended this already to at least five people in my life. That, like, they have to go out of their way and rent it right now. It's for six bucks or seven bucks on uh, on demand. Yeah. A24's got another absolute winner on, this hand, on, on its hand with this movie. I mean, bravo to them. Bravo to the Russo brothers for getting behind it. Bravo to Dan Kwan and, and Daniel Scheinart for, for pulling this off, being the writers and directors on it. Bravo to Michelle Yeoh, who's been aces in everything she's done in the last what five ten years michelle yo I, I i'm curious to hear your thoughts on the oscar oscar lens of it do you think she is someone who's gonna last no matter what where, where do you put because i want to ask our guests in future weeks too but where do you put her candidacy up next to austin butler's would you bet money on michelle yo getting nominated over butler or vice versa Oh, that's a really good question. I think just on instinct, I would put my money on Butler because we've seen A24 do questionable things when it comes to their Oscar races and where they put their money and position their talent. Even though and Michelle Yeoh's, you know, she can make the... She's Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, I mean, based on merit, it's like, case, it's, yeah. yeah, it's apples and oranges. You know, I mean, it could be whatever you want it to be. Should Michelle Yeoh be there? Yeah, absolutely, based on merit right now, no question. Does she have the legs to make it to the end of the year? Her and Austin Butler probably have about the same, again, just based on merit, probably have the same path because it's the, an equal difficulty. The movie came out very early in the year. Is it going to get a re-release? Is it going to get a re-push from its studio? How is the studio going to handle its re-push? Does it have other things on its plate? Et cetera, et cetera. So based on merit, you know, it's splitting hairs there. But based on just the entire picture, I, you, I think you have to have more faith in the studio that's been there and done that versus the studio that's maybe tripped up when it comes to having an Oscars push for their talent in the last five years or so, like A24 has, and we've commented on. So if you took, if if Elvis was shot in film, and if everything every, everywhere all at once was shot in film, and you took those film canisters, these metaphysical, metaphorical mm-hmm. film canisters, and you pinned them down and then pulled them and stretched them out, which goes further? Which shot more? 
They're, I mean, there's so much movie between these movies. The editing feats are unbelievable. Do you think Everything Everywhere could be a contender in editing? I'm dying. God, I'm, that's a good question. I, because I think it's it's all there at the end, and they make this play. I just wonder if it's a it's little so bit. It's so much more coherent than the Elvis movie, right? Yes. It's, it's a little bit slapdash is the word that comes to my brain. They, they hammer a couple of jokes like 17 times. Like the the Ratatouille joke is, is hammered and it's funny every time. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know if uh, something like that's going to play on the Academy. I, I Maybe it will because we've seen Adam McKay get in mm, you know, with, his, with his movies that kind of hit similar notes again and again and again. <sighs> you should smash cut out when I say anything to end this segment. <laughs> the, well, the I'm 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 sighing because I'm thinking. I think it's a really good question. I my gut instinct is to say fall back on the legacy and the legacy. You know, all things being equal, which are Oscars voters going to be more partial to? It'll probably be the Boz Lerman over the uh, the relative neophytes and and Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinart who have this kind of first time major hit on their hand. Because between the HCAs by the seashore uh-huh. uh, and with shoes, on. with shoes on, I think the fact that support behind everything everywhere is so crystallized at the moment, and, and we're going to look back at this first half of the year, and, and we're going to say, this is the movie that should be contending XYZ. I wonder if that fact is going to clarify and give this movie legs down the stretch. Because it was such a huge hit. I also wonder, you know, we're going to have to ask a guest these questions as well. I wonder if the box office triumph that Everything Everywhere All at Once is is going to, you know, work in its mm. favor. Mm. Because this is, is going to be a case where where the uh, it's a hundred million dollars. Yeah, the money is the the award. No, no, no. I'm wondering the opposite because it's not like the billion dollar tentpole. Obviously, this is a smash hit from the indie level, and typically that actually you know pole vault oh uh, yeah it's the it's the double-edged sword i was talking about a couple weeks ago where it's like how the box office can work in the favor of a smaller movie or even a bigger movie like top gun but like when when the box office gets past a certain arbitrary point we start giving it credit and it's in the oscars race there's as a opposed tipping to saying, point there's yeah. a tipping point with blockbusters yeah. i don't know if there's a tipping point with indie hits so everything everywhere all at mo- once might just be a cinderella darling from from here to the to the Everything bagel of it all, I think. <laughs> everybody should see this movie. Good. Yeah, Absolutely everybody should see that movie. Good. So that's Everything Everywhere All at Once. I will transition in an asinine fashion now to where the crawdads sing. You hated this movie. Michael, I despised this movie-watching <laughs> experience. Now, okay. now, why? Because I love this genre, and I don't like when this genre is very heavy-handed. And what is face. this genre? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a murder mystery, and this is very paint by numbers. This is sappy. This is one just cheesy scene after another, and I don't hate any of the characters. I like the characters. I like the sentiments. I like what's happening here. I love the context 
with the Swell Shenanigans podcast, and you got to okay. listen to Amanda's episode on Crawdads, if you see where the Crawdads sing, talking about the author <laughs> and her dubious past, my God. And, and it has a whole new level after you watch this movie. So that might be worth the price of admission right there for us Swell Shenanigans fans out there. Okay. But good. Like, I don't know. I had a hard time staying locked in on this movie, and I kind of predicted what was going to happen. And they hide the ball on some things where I just wanted to just throw my popcorn at the screen. Whatever was left in my popcorn, I just wanted to throw it all. And an old lady shushed going... me, Mike. An old lady shushed me or scolded me during the movie. For, I'm sorry, I have to get you this were, off my Because chest. you were what? You were... I checked my phone, and my phone lights up, and I don't uh, have it dimmed. I was in the wrong, 100%. I wonder if it was the same old lady who yelled at me when I did that during the Harriet movie a couple years ago. <laughs> I was in the back row. So back row etiquette should be, if you hold it close enough to your chest, your face might light up a little bit, mm-hmm. but who cares, right? I mean, what she, she, she is, uh, I'm still mad at her, but I'm, I'm in the wrong. Don't get me, you know, I'm in the wrong here, but she definitely turned at me and it said, excuse me. It was because the second time I did it, because I was bored with the movie, but uh, I'm in the wrong. That. I fantasized about her death, you know, for 20 <laughs> minutes of the film after that. And then I realized, wait a minute, I am a jerk and I am wrong and I should not, uh, wish this woman ill she's just into the movie and i shouldn't be looking at my phone i'm an ass no let's hunt her down i agree what <laughs> she's dead Come- now but i that's not <laughs> yeah, right. it wasn't my fault no <laughs> she's buried where the crawdads sing where what compelled you to buy this ticket i was bored and i wanted to see a film and i thought it was going to overperform this this coming weekend because a lot of people were into it it was a huge hit as a book and i was right like the the crowd was full it was just about a full theater uh, on friday and i think i think this movie's gonna have some legs because it's it's target audience is older it's i think there's probably good word of mouth uh you know some people talk about it as kind of a comfort food and as eric weber's review i, I was breaking his balls over the weekend about this film <laughs> Just with uh, some comparative uh, tweets there, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed thoroughly, by the way. Because <laughs> I can understand you going to see, like, you know, Mr. Malcolm's List or whoever goes what? to Paris or whatever Look fiefiness. It. Listen, the fiefiness is because I've grown bored with all other genres. And I'm finally <laughs> giving in to these movies my mother's recommended to me her whole life. And actually, Jane Austen's a good writer. She can write a, a hell of a complication to a story. And she can resolve it immediately, which is also <laughs> another feat of strength. But look, I think it, you know you have great stories behind a lot of these you know mom movie you know uh, staples, and therefore mm. I've I've slowly caught up on them. Little Women and the Jane Austen films, they're good movies. They're good stories. Like Where the Crawdads Sing, it actually is a good story. The story works. The problem is the scenes don't like scene to scene. I'm just like ugh. I'm just so what's yelling the at the thing. I'm moaning. I, it's, it, it works as a, it's, it's the opposite of Elvis. Like the story works really well, and you know the I hated the movie, so C minus. Good. I'm glad actually that proves that you're able to be a critic when you need to be without you know submitting to only needing a story from something, and you're able to kind of buck the trend because I have kind of the same thing. I, I'm I 
my next review with Cha Cha Real Smooth, I proved to myself I'm able to be a fair critic without letting my personal bias cloud my judgment and my grade. Because which is shocking to me, because I the text I will you fight sent me. one yeah. day. Cooper Rafe and I are going to come to blows. <laughs> we will fight. I, there was nothing appealing about his character. You know, in he's that playing movie. a character, right? You know? Listen to me. I'm going to fight him. <laughs> okay. Like take the this is like Soderbergh levels of disdain that I had for this guy. I, I, the first twenty minutes, I almost turned this movie off because he was just so cringe-inducing. This character to me, and I was supposed you have to like him to get into the story, and like he does win me over somewhat. But God, did I! I I've never disliked a protagonist. I can't remember the last time I disliked a protagonist this much as I do in Cha Cha Real Smooth. But the story overall and the movie overall is very good and very heartwarming and. It's a solid watch. I gave it an 84, a lower B, good. but a solid B nonetheless. Um, there's a lot of good to like in this movie. I just, I don't know how realistic any of, where any of the good comes from is. Because if Cooper Rafe does what he does in this movie in real life, he probably gets his ass kicked a couple times. <laughs> By Jewish mothers at these bar mitzvahs. And, and parents at the bar mitzvahs, husbands at the front doorstep. Right. Uh, you know, well, We also deal with a different type of guy around these parts. Sure. We deal with the crawdad folk <laughs> up, sure. up in these here. Yeah, know, his stepfather backwards. would probably beat him up. Brad Garrett would have taken a swing at him at some point. Uh, Dakota Johnson is like the most altruistic character in the history of movies. Nothing's ever difficult except her marriage. Nothing else in life is hard for her. I, I will say this, though. I mean, where it, the movie lands is actually refreshing and mature, no? And there's a lot of laughs along the way, No. I don't know that I laugh. I, I don't know that I laughed that much in this movie, to be honest. Because I, I don't I th- get that. I thought it was a pretty heavy-handed drama about we, like growing up. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it works as a coming-of-age film. But like, I agree. For me, I, it does. It does. I mean, I gave it a good grade. I guess that's the weird thing. Like, I this was one of the few family watches that I brought mm-hmm. Sundance to my brother and and dad. It was it was just us three. It wasn't like right. a huge family watch, but it's just us three on a Sunday evening and I saved it. It was the Sundance watch and I was like, "All right, if we're going to watch one movie, I'm hearing good things about this one." And Shit House won the South by, mm-hmm. you know, Audience Award 2 years ago and I liked Shit House even though that's more cringy than this. If you oh, you God. can't handle this, <laughs> I couldn't. I almost turned the movie off legitimately. And that was my biggest that was my biggest fear. Uh <laughs> that it was going to be <laughs> this character was just going to cry. Uh and, and Jim Cummings can get a little bit that way too. He's like trying to be the the star actor Cooper Rafe and it's it just like a f- a few too many tears in your eyes mm. scenes for certain. But I thought the end of the movie was going to get you in, into a huff, not the beginning of the film. Now I'm no, because I mean, it's stuck to the tenor of reality, which is if you're going to be so based in reality, like the, the, the meat of this movie is like as as unrealistic as the outcome or the consequences of his actions are, the theme of the movie is based in reality. So mm-hmm. what would actually happen? At least I, I agree with a world in which that outcome does happen. You know what I mean? Even though I don't agree with the outcomes most of the time. Like, my God, if I if, if I saw someone mouth off. To their stepfather and the way in which this kid does numerous times, especially while drunk or at a public setting in a public bathroom like that. Brad Garrett has more of a strength than anyone I've ever seen. Like, you're letting that kid live in your house rent free and he's talking to you this way? Hmm. <laughs> you know, but nonetheless, you're right. It does land in a good place. 
Does it I like the theme and the story and the threat of the movie overall. I yeah. don't know that I appreciate many of the consequences of the characters or their actions. Okay. <laughs> Did you think Dakota Johnson was, was uh, in terms of her performance, impressive in this? That I think she, she could... was stunning. My God, was she gorgeous yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, she was very good. I'll tell you who I was most impressed by. Evan Asante, who plays the younger brother David, and Vanessa Burghardt, who plays Lola. Uh, the autistic who's afflicted with autism. I, they were great, especially for, for teen or child actors. My God. And yeah. they had some scenes where they had to carry them all on their own shoulders, and I thought they were more than capable. Well, I'm going to have to rewatch this film. I haven't. I, I had a couple of months ago. I haven't. I don't know. I, I think uh, I think this movie works as a comedy, you know, for me, which is a little bit surprising that it didn't get you there. Uh, and... I'm I'm a little surprised that you weren't laughing your ass off at these people. Like maybe that's the difference. Maybe you're just you're so down in reality on them. Is a party starter a real thing in the Jewish community? I don't know. I just thought it was ridiculous that he was one, and I thought it was funny. Like I was laughing satirically at most of the. Or I don't know if satirically, but I was laughing in a in a weird way about at this movie. Like you know, it's just kind of a Arrested Development. Right after college, I mean, it's a really good malaise. movie. You know, yeah. it's I don't I don't give out B's and B pluses and A minuses. Willie, you know, it's like it's true. It's something worth watching. It's definitely like a, it's definitely a good movie. You're like an AP teacher here with the curve. <laughs> uh, do you think Do you think this movie could thread a needle into the screenplay category? Well, that's like, its only hope. I think. Okay. I mean, I do think if it's going to get recognition, it would be in the, the type where the my God, if Cooper Rafe gets any kind of recognition for this performance. I'll end a, this podcast here and now. <laughs> it was a big hit at the Sundance Film Festival, and of course. I, I, I think this has along the same lines of Elvis, along the same lines of, of maybe to a greater extent because it's a smaller movie, but along the same lines as everything everywhere all at once. It's I, Until I see some of those big names in Q3 and Q4 flop, these are tall mountains to climb to sustain the type of Oscars-level momentum, no matter how much of an indie success they are. Well, Elvis, obviously not in this movie, but the other two. I, there's just a tall mountain to climb until you see that these movies can't do it. Now, I realize, holy, we're off the back of a year in which Coda was able to do that. And mm-hmm. this is another Apple TV movie, and, and maybe it can it can thread that needle like you're saying. And But I like I can't see it until I know we're in this November and December, and we're still talking about these movies. All right, well, let's keep going with the Dakota Johnson film that I watched in Persuasion. This is Jane Austen, Carrie Cracknell as a director. Michael, I am shocked to say that I was a huge fan of this movie. Of course uh, you were. Why are you shocked? What do you mean by that? Because I'm waiting for the the uh, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop on these films. Like how come none of them are terrible or unwatchable? Like how is everyone just the template for every modern romance? Maybe if, that's but just... you would have you have the same you have the same opinion of these movies as I would if I watched nothing but like the musicals from the fifties and sixties because my mother loved them so dearly. Like of course you'd have a soft spot in your heart for them. So does every time your mother try to convince you to watch a nineteen fifties musical, do you talk yourself down and then are you surprised that you like them? I don't watch those movies. <laughs> uh, I don't watch White Christmas or, or, you know, Let It Snow or any of that. So you don't you don't indulge yourself in watching films that you think you'll dislike that often, unless it's like me doing it, forcing you. 
trying to think. Like, is there a genre? Because I'm a wild card. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I want when I want when it comes to movies. <laughs> but this movie was funny. And it's poking fun at a bunch of these status-obsessed side characters, which is probably its best strength. I mean, you had, like, Henry Golding, Richard E. Grant, and I thought she stole the show, this, you know, narcissistic sister character played by Mia McKenna-Bruce, all acting opposite of Dakota Johnson, who's winking at the camera for, you know, every 15 minutes of the film in this uh, breaking of the fourth wall that a lot of like purists had issues with, but my mother insisted was like a Jane Austen film callback to like the man Mansfield park uh, movies of the nineties or whatnot. And I just think it's like movie star flexing for Dakota Johnson. So th this really? is, a, yeah, I mean, she's like this alcoholic character. So this is like this modernized version of the quote unquote, you know, 29 year old spinster, God help us. Right. Uh, -huh. uh 29 unmarried <laughs> and what is she doing and mike God i just forbid. she was great she was funny she was uh and, and she's got gravitas to the character as well so i i'm i'm a big fan just from you know a story standpoint and you know if you have a character to build your film around with such a backstory and, and an expositional dump at the beginning of the film obviously that you've seen in the trailer about the love lost there it, it works and then you got beautiful nature beautiful mansions beautiful costumes and you got all of the goods delivered from these costume dramas delivered in spades with this one just adorable characters whose fates are cleanly and completely resolved by the end of the tale i mean what's what's not to like here mike <laughs> what's the grade I look at i gotta be honest it's either a b86 or a b plus 87 it's probably that You're good. out of your goddamn mind <laughs> You're out I of told your mind. you, I told you that this movie is pretty good, and your immediate response was just "f you," <laughs> <laughs> which killed me at the time. But have you watched Autumn DeWilde's Emma yet? Like that's probably who, the, who do you think you're talking to? Well, did, oh, Jesus. So it's gonna take you. It's just gonna be like 15 years from now. You're gonna say the only reason I got me. into theater for the favorite was because I heard it was all about Eve. <laughs> You're going to text me 15 years from now. And you go, Mike, Emma? You ever see Emma? You ever see uh, Persuasion? <laughs> Pretty 5. good. 5.6 on IMDb for Persuasion on 4,400 plus reviews. Just, I don't uh, care. I don't care what IMDb says anymore. Well, I'm just telling you. I'm just, you know, I'm telling, letting the listener know, not you. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, Persuasion was pretty darn good. Just like this next film, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. And this, you failed me on. By the way, because you were what supposed to take to my mother. Week? You were supposed to take my mother to this movie. She was very insistent on going to this movie. She was determined. She's like, you're taking me to this movie. She said this a month ago. I had no choice. And I had I had to work all morning. I was you just dead tired. I thought I was going to fall asleep in the film. If it wasn't so damn charming from start to friggin' finish. <laughs> I can't believe the old lady fantasy that this movie was. As rewarding and fun to watch as any of these damn films, even though this is the most preposterous, because you have Mrs. Harris, who's just like, Oi, give me that dress over there. And Oi, is that your cockney hat? my cockney, uh... Mrs. Harris. Hey, Frenchman. <laughs> the French are taking a beating this episode, by the way. 
<laughs> Christian Dior and uh, Isabelle Huppert. And she's just yelling at them to just change their whole lives. Like Lady Gaga in oh, House of Gucci. And uh, Leslie Manville did in Phantom Thread. Just a completely different uh, character. I just I can't believe the lack of travel planning and how much goes right. I mean, this is the Forrest Gump of <laughs> fantasy films in this you know, in this world, and it just works out illustriously, but it makes you pay a little bit. I will say that. There are much longer lapses in between payoffs, so you'll su- you'll have to suffer in some sadness for, like, I don't know, four and a half whole minutes in between, you know, just 40-minute stretches of nonstop fantasy and happiness. But you will have to suffer a little bit in this one. I don't know where you went this week uh, i have uh, a final declarative ranking but persuasion is better than mrs harris goes to paris which is better than mr malcolm's list which is better than crawdads so that's my power rankings of these fifi movies that i've been watching even though crawdads is not one of those i just I like to break eric weber's balls on that one i don't know how he rated it so high 26 <laughs> percent like so, on tomato meter if persu- is persuasion an oscars player I think it could be like in costumes. Like, why not in costumes? Uh, I mean, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Why not in costumes? Gorgeous, focused features, persuasion. I mean, it's like every everything's a painting out there. Cinematography is un- next level. I, but I don't think it's got the pizzazz of an Emma, which had all the you know the, the which had the color palette of all the pastels that uh, kind of was so unique for it. So I, I would doubt it's any of these movies are going to play in. But I I think they're going to find a very happy, receptive audience because these are crowd pleasers, all of them. Persuasion, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Mr. Malcolm's List. And yes, Where the Crawdads Sing. I think they're all going to find an audience. These are crowd-pleasing films. Stories, anyway. Crowd-pleasing stories. I just have no words for what just happened in the last five minutes. If you were going to watch one of those four, if somebody paid you a tidy sum, or if you would lose a bet, Right, and and your punishment for losing said bet would be to watch one of these four movies. Which one would you relent to to seeing, and and therefore take my mother to see upon rewatch, so I don't have to? It would probably be Crawdads, just based on the story, like what I know about the stories. Mm-hmm. It's I, a wrong answer, but okay. I understand that. <laughs> Well, I went to all these movies instead of going to see The Gray Man. And shout out to Andrew Morgan, who I think is going to review it on his next episode of Recent Activity. Because he invited me last second. I was working that night and I couldn't go. But uh, The Gray Man is playing in limited release and it's getting hammered right now, Michael. 53% on 87 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. 49 Metascore. The audience cons- you know, scores, I don't know what to make of them. 89% Rotten Tomatoes, only 50 votes. IMDb, 6.8 out of 10. Again, you know, just IMDb, the sky is green. Right. 1.4K votes there. I can't help but think that The Winter Soldier was a fluke. Good hay and Simone Pillai, uh, now Toronto. A picture that tries desperately to be an over-the-top Mission Impossible adventure, only to end up in no man's land of inconsequence. Stephanie Zacharick of Time Magazine. That doesn't surprise me to hear. 
Uh, a positive one, the gray man is born with a nod to Bond, part shoot 'em up video game, but also a king, uh, a kind of comedy. Uh, I was almost said a king of comedy. Uh, this last ingredient, crucial to its success, Paul Whittington of the Irish Independent. And even this uh, positive review is not an inspiring one. It's not boring, but it's not exactly fun either. From Joshua Starnes <laughs> on Vital Please. Thrills. These are I all rotten. Are you tomatoes. surprised by any of this? Yes, I'm shocked because the Russo really? brothers, the Russo brothers, I I given them too much credit maybe for the Marvel hit parade that they had for the best movie ever at the box office in Avengers Endgame, and maybe we should be giving Kevin Feige much more credit as the producer for these Marvel films than uh, than the directors. My God, I I'm shocked that the Russo brothers had this level of buy-in from netflix and they delivered a huge stinker at least in the eye netflix has got to be panicking right now no i don't know i mean look it's a big dumb action thriller it sounds like action spy thriller isn't i don't understand like this was never going to contend for anything serious yeah but if you're you're spending 200 million dollars on the ip alone or whatever they spent people are going to tune in I don't think it matters. I really don't. I think people are. I think they're going to get their numbers. I mean, it's what's going to be new on Netflix. You have two of the best looking men in the world and one of the best looking women as your three leads, that are household names. All of them. I, I think people are just going to tune in to see, you know, Captain America in another action movie, or to see Ryan Gosling do something, to see Chris Evans in a mustache, Anna De Armas. What's she up to? How does she get involved in this? I, I just, I just think it is. And look, what they want most of all is they want franchises at netflix this is something you know andrew's driven home for us time and again whenever we've talked to him about netflix is this going to become a franchise for them that oh shucks all right i'll fine i'll watch it because it's all these stars is that good enough necessarily well i guess that's where the the line i draw because where is the line for netflix as to what justifies a sequel that Chris Hemsworth movie got a sequel, which kind of surprised me, but the Ryan Gosling, Michael Bay one didn't. And I thought that one overperformed. So I don't know that we know necessarily what's in Netflix's offices right now as to what merits franchising opportunities. I don't know. How do you read the algorithms? Right. Is it about homemade salads, like you <laughs> seem to think before? I, I, I mean, you know... What's going to surprise you if Netflix comes out and says this was seen in less than 10 million homes? Would that surprise you? I, I, I'm expecting a huge fake number. I would expect a huge fake number. But I cannot imagine, based on you know the total lack of enthusiasm for anything Red Notice going forward, I cannot imagine that they're going to look at Red Notice and the Gray Man and they're going to say, all right, can we put colors and more titles with these stars and just think it's a franchise? <laughs> That's what they're doing, right? They, they're they just mixing and matching properties behind the scenes. That's what we commented on when I think it was the Roosters again are going to have Millie Bobby Brown in one of their projects. It's Yeah, but Millie Bobby Brown, at least, you know, the Anola Holmes was a pretty fun movie, I would say. I mean, it's more fun than Red Notice. No? Did you watch Red Notice, or did you, you avoid it? I watch clips. I'm not going to sit through that entire... The big, the big, dumb action ones don't do it for me that much. Not at home. Unless yeah. The Rock's in it. 
Well, Red Notice did feature The Rock in yeah. Knucklehead. Yeah, I didn't watch it. Yeah. He wasn't on a skyscraper. The movie wasn't titled Skyscraper. <laughs> Michael, let's go Netflix rapid. went wrong first. Let's go rapid fire. You set me up on some of these uh, because we got a lot of future film news that we ought to cover. Is Olivia Coleman going to get another Oscar nom for running a small independent film theater in the 80s? Empire of the Light is confirmed for a December 9th release of this year, Mike. So do you think this is going to be like a uh, an ode to indie cinemas, the indie cinemas that I don't know if you guys have heard about this. Uh, they might be in peril, or at least at one time or another they were. And here we have Searchlight posturing this at the heart of Oscar distribution season, December 9th. Like I said, late November into the mid-December here. This is, this is right where you want to be. And if they platform release it with Searchlight, they know exactly what they're doing. They got two Oscar magnets in the lead. I mean, I didn't think The Lost Daughter from last year was something that was going to get her enough Oscars legs. But I, it seems to be one of those cases where whatever she does, the Academy takes notice and is going to put her in there or at least have her in the conversation. Sam Mendes, Colin Firth, Olivia Coleman, Ode to British Cinemas of the 1980s, Romance. I'd be surprised if that's not considered for Oscars, yeah. to be honest with you. I mean, that's just D- Didn't we it. say it during the 100% accurate, you know? Wouldn't surprise me. I don't, I don't know if I picked them, but uh, maybe I did. I remember having trouble with Empire of the Light in a couple uh, categories. I don't remember. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised either. We'll have to keep our eyes out for it. More of debuts coming to TIFF. They announced the premiere for Billy Eichner's Bros, which we've previewed here. Santa Lathan's On the Come Up and Clement Virgo's Brother movie. Yeah, they joined Glass Onions and Knives Out Mystery in the uh, early premiere announcements from the Toronto International Film Play, F- Film Festival that will take place September 8th through the 18th. And I, we're about to get a barrage of mm-hmm. TIFF announcements, of Venice announcements. Th- these are coming. This will be our next month, most likely. But it's cool. The Hate You Give, Sanaa Lathan, and uh, the, uh, you know one of the main Wire directors, Clement Virgo, they got two movies that are going to be premiering alongside Billy Eichner's film that uh, I think think we're very excited about that looks really friggin' funny my yeah, god judd yeah, apatow produce or judd apatow uh production there tiff always you know, keeping up the tradition of tiff having the you know the cool movies and having a playing to that kind of market or something that looks fun and gonna debut at tiff tiff is so cool yeah. <laughs> so cool They're the coolest with the leather jackets <laughs> salem's lot has been pushed from september 9th 2022 to april of 2023 by wb you have a lot written on this mike Yeah, what a confusing story because Salem's Lot is a Stephen King production, right, from WB. Stephen King IP has done extremely well in that early September release date area, right? And we had that that Labor Day release be a huge hit spot for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings last year. So, you know, with that pandemic year aside, you know, three out of the last four Labor Days have been a, a fertile ground for box office. And here we have WB without anything else moving in, Michael. Don't worry, Darling comes in a few weeks later for WB at the September 19th or whatever it is. We don't have anything before that. The Woman King is involved on the 16th. I think it's actually the 22nd, the uh, Don't Worry, Darling. And we don't have anything other than 3,000 Years of Longing kind of in theaters at that moment in early September. What we do have is the NFL and college football starting up big that month, obviously. I wonder if, 
I wonder if this shows a lack of confidence in Salem's Lot. I wonder if it shows a lack of confidence in the release date. Or I wonder if it shows that I, th I think studios are starting to rely more on a mainstream audience again to go to the movies. And now they want that mainstream audience when that mainstream audience is available. And they know, based on, you know, deeper into the history books, they're not available on Labor Day weekend. People do stuff. People watch football. People are not going to the movie theaters and they'd rather go to April where a quiet place did really well, where, you know, previous WB horror movies have done well, just like the curse of Ya Yorona a couple mm. years back. And even the nightmare on Elm street remake, it was postured there as just like, I mean, I, I guess if you look way back into the CV of release dates, those are just two of WB's past you see movies doing well in April, uh, horror movies of this size, or maybe, you know, IP kind of films like that. So if you're posturing a Nightmare on Elm Street remake, uh, remake there, it, it would make sense that uh, there's more of a history of films like that. So Salem's Lot, what the hell does this mean for that film? And what does it mean for the box office in early September? Nobody's filling in these gaps in the quote-unquote calendar, Michael. Well, the Labor Day box office has never been that robust. I mean, Shang-Chi came and obliterated everything last year, but that was also on the heels of the pandemic, quote-unquote, ending. And maybe there's some residual fear about the pandemic because it seems like this new variant is rearing its head and not going away. And uh, we just saw this past week based uh, from The Hollywood Reporter that the, the uh, I think it was the Screen Actors Guild and the studios kind of implemented more new COVID protocols or extended them through at least the end of September when it comes to like catering backstage and things of that nature and riding buses to and from the shoot. Um, mm. So that's still on the minds of the studio heads. But I, I think it's just a, as far as Labor Day goes, I mean, the biggest Labor Day movie, the biggest Labor Day opening prior to what Shang-Chi did last year was 2007's Halloween, the Rob Zombie one, which was mm. a $30 million opening. Before that, it was The Possession. Right, uh, it's not a fertile it's not ground. A, yeah, it's not a fertile ground for people to come back to theaters, and I think that's kind of where we're settled at mostly, is that these studios expect people to get the last bit of summer in still. Yeah, so that's that's a strange repositioning. Maybe maybe, maybe you just kind of answered it in, in the sense that they want Salem's Lot to do better. Maybe it's not a criticism of Salem's Lot, the film, moving to April. All right. Back to Black. Yeah, Back to Black. Amy Winehouse's biopic that's in the works from Studio Canal. The Fifty Shades director, Sam Taylor Johnson, is attached, and the Winehouse estate is also directly involved with this project. Yeah, didn't you say a couple episodes ago that every single major mm -hmm. musical talent of our generation is going to get their own biopic? This is a hell of a story, too. I mean, it's very yeah. cinematic, and it's sad, and it's depressing, but it tells itself well to movies. An Oscar-winning documentary, right? So mm -hmm. Sam Taylor Johnson also has you know, this in her resume. She made a film about John Lem uh, Lennon called Nowhere Boy, starring her husband, Aaron Taylor Johnson. No, I'm sorry, that's... Uh, her husband was in the film, but uh, it starred uh, somebody who looked exactly like him. I can't tell white people apart these days. Can you? <laughs> what's, what's the kid's name? <laughs> he's not a kid. He's 30 years old now. He was a kid then. Anyway, A Million Little Pieces was her other film, uh, and uh, that's about drug abuse. So on paper, her resume does reflect that she's an appropriate choice here, Sam Taylor Johnson. So everybody giving her, you know, grief about the whole 50 shades attachments 
and she's going to into this. I, I just think it shows that she can handle huge IP and she can handle the subject matters. What's the musical biopic that if it was announced would pique your interest outside the Beatles? Hmm. How about a band called Death? <laughs> just what? <laughs> I don't care about these big ones. I I want like to see. I want to see you know the Searching for Sugar Man, the real movie. I'm thinking of great musical documentaries. A band called Death and Sugar Man. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't need. I don't need the huge hit hits. Uh, you know, or the huge hit makers rather. And I don't need the traditional biopic anymore. Can you do it any differently? Everyone seems to be trying to innovate now in one way, shape, or form. I don't. I think we're going to come back and we're going to get more respects and we're going to get more, you know, traditional takes on the genre again because we've gone off the deep end with a lot of these films that have been fun versions mm. of these musical biopics because every the genre got so stale. And yeah. I will say that Elvis was a unique way to do it because it was That's just true. so intense. That's true. Anyway. Samara Weaving, Tony Revolori, they've been added to the cast of Scream, whatever the next one's going to be, Scream 2, Scream 6, etc. Yeah, Uh, I got got questions to throw back at you. Yeah, Yeah, they're shooting, but there's no Nev Campbell to be found. All right. Doesn't she deserve a movie off? Can Can we start there? Nev Campbell deserves a story off. No? Doesn't it make the, you know, absence make the heart grow fonder with Nev Campbell? Or you think she should be the Scream franchise, period? Does Jamie Lee Curtis deserve a Halloween movie off? Would you see it if she did? The problem, and we've discussed this, Jamie Lee Curtis has been the most compelling character in every single Halloween film. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I would argue Melissa Barrera's character was more compelling in Scream, as was Jenna Ortega. And you just have a hit list of awesome side characters from Jasmine Savoy Brown to Mason Gooding to, you know, obviously the legacy characters coming back with, uh, the arc, uh, David Arquette and Courtney Cox. And now you have Hannah Hayden Panettiere, Mike, mm-hmm. you have this list here, Jack Champion, Liana Liberato, Henry Zerny, Josh Segura. And it's going to be outside of Woodsboro. It's uh, they say the next movie is not going to take place in Woodsboro. Do you want um, it to be in New York City proper? Like Central Park? Or do you want, like, alleyways with Ghostface? Or do you think that's too Leprechaun? Yeah, I do worry about that. Jason takes Manhattan. Yeah, Leprechaun went on the road. Jason yeah. went on the road. Leprechaun in space was one. Um, <laughs> I, 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 had, I, I don't know. I just, man... It's Scream. That means Nev Campbell's there, especially if Courtney Cox is, you know, and Hayden Panettiere is coming back. What's Kirby going to do? She was with uh, Sidney Prescott at the end of Scream 4. Over under 35 minutes of screen time, Dermot Mulroney gets it. Under. Got to be under. (laughs) Dead. Henry Zerny, over or under? (laughs) 45 minutes. He might be the killer. You think so? <laughs> no, I would say under dead. All right. Here's the, the most important question. Is the killer someone from the previous film? Or is the killer a, a new character? It has to be a new character. Does it, though? <laughs> Who could it be? 
Well, Melissa I mean, Barrera? You, Samara Weaving and Tony Revolori have had big name whodunit gravitas to this new set of characters featuring Dermot Moroni and, like you said, Henry It would take Journey, balls to make it the Kirby character, the Hayden Panettiere, but I mean, I could, that would at least be a twist that would be unforeseen. Leanna Liberato is a really good actress from the Beach House there. Uh, I don't, I'm not familiar with Arrow, Josh Segarra, Devin Nakoda is another young actor. Maybe that can uh, carry one of these. Uh, Does Courtney Cox parts. make it through? Uh, no. I don't think so either. I think this is it. How about this? Would you want the posters that we've seen on the internet to become the the actual marketing? Would you want these artists to get paid for their, you know, their fan poster art and just get adopted into the marketing process? Because some of them have been terrific. Obviously, the knife as the Empire State Building, and then the have you seen the double exclamation point where there's a number six that you can, you know, view the negative space. It's just no, like this outline. Oh my god! What a what a brilliant, what a brilliant uh, little design there. March thirty first next year, we're gonna find it all. They're shooting it currently. All right, um, I'll throw these questions at you because I think you got you know additional news to, to kind of finish this episode. But we have some MCU speculation. We heard that Margot Robbie, Robbie is rumored to play a major role in the MCU going forward. We heard that after Taron Edgerton had meetings with Kevin Feige over Wolverine and the potential mm-hmm. that he could take on that mantle. Is this clearly Kevin Feige casting the X-Men to introduce them next week with this other rumored ca- casting that you came across before we hit record today? Yeah, the big rumor on TikTok this morning as I was scrolling through was uh, somebody saw something that was leaked that uh, suggested that Giancarlo Esposito is going to be the new Charles Xavier. You would think, I mean, this is Kevin Feige kind of rounding up the troops and getting everyone into form just in time for San Diego Comic-Con next week where Marvel has a big, as they always do, big hall exhibit. Uh, and that's, you know, famously where they introduced Marshall Ali coming out as Blade. They famously introduced Brie Larson playing Captain Marvel. You would think they're going to have some kind of major reveal for everybody uh, coming out. And if Giancarlo Esposito is the start of that, then that's going to be that your tip-off to the X-Men coming through to fruition. Um, Margot Robbie's done with WB now, right? Or DC, at least. Yeah, I think so. I would I would expect so. Again, I mean, she I... can't be expected to play what it may be Jean Grey, Harley Quinn in the DCEU, and Barbie. Can she? At the same time? No way unlikely i mean she's a great actress but she just probably doesn't want to do all that now those are all mainstream triple a projects and doesn't leave time for her to go chase oscars and run her production company right i mean i think that's that's it for harley robbie margot quinn probably if lady gaga is taking that role as we said mm-hmm. she's not sharing it with anybody else they didn't make an you know another studio didn't have house of gucci Right. <laughs> in production. <laughs> it wasn't like an Alexander uh, situation with Leo and Colin Farrell. How did Colin Farrell win that out? I don't, never, we'll never know. So if the X-Men are going to be Giancarlo Esposito, Margot Robbie, and Taron Egerton, is that enough for you to get excited about? Oh, yeah. I mean, just Marvel doing it is good enough for me. But if you, 
if you lead the uh, the charge with those three, I'm, I'm pretty excited. And, and John Carlo Esposito is perfect casting. Yeah, for he is. That's one thing that Kevin Feige and company have always gotten right. They're always matching these character, these actors to these characters, and the first instinct, by and large, has always been, oh. And I love, I love the Gus Freund, you know, edge mm-hmm. to Charles Xavier because I think he should be scarier after the the length of his story and where it went to with Logan. And you'll always have Patrick Stewart as as a you know a backing to that part, right? But the way they interpreted it towards the end, I, I think you can get you can kind of pick it up where 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 you left off in that regard with it with Mister Esposito. I, I can't wait to see what's in store. Hopefully we're right. Hopefully the rumors are true. We'll find out in a in short amount of time. We'll land on this. Daniel Kaluuya not going to be in Black Panther 2, not reprising his role, not coming back. Yeah, so he was filming Nope and did not get involved there. So whoever put their Vegas money <laughs> on yeah. Daniel Kaluuya taking over is not going to get paid for Black Panther 2. Now... I'm wondering if this absence between films Thor Love and Thunder and Black Panther 2 is exactly what you know Marvel needs. They'll have Comic-Con, they'll have some time to regenerate interest. I don't know how the Disney Plus shows are going to keep airing or not keep airing. I'm kind of in the early stages of watching Ms. Marvel, although I, I know a lot of people love it, so I got that for the next couple of weeks. But the first I episode was great. accidentally. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see exactly, but I saw a reference to something that supposedly happens at the end of Miss Marvel. That tips it's got high stakes, right? Yeah, it has high nothing stakes. to do with Miss Marvel. It has something to do with where the MCU might be going. Yes, so I'm I'm eager to just watch. I'll probably click play on an episode later today. Can't help myself. Who do you want as Cyclops? We've not talked about this. This is totally off the top of your Who head. Who is Taron Edgerton's mortal enemy? That's the question. Leonardo DiCaprio? As Cyclops. Who elbowed him out of the, uh, he's probably got his Oscar nom from two years ago, three years ago. Well, it can't be, <laughs> who, who is the character in uh, Rocket Man? Uh, this is going to, this is going to be idiotic. <laughs> Ro- Rob Stark. Rob Stark's character. What's his name? <laughs> um, <laughs> we're just, we got to stop. where it goes. This is where we end the this episode. where it ends. <laughs> Every time. Who was that guy in that thing? I know him from somewhere, which is what <laughs> my mother said how many times during Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. I know her. Don't tell me I don't know her. I know her. Uh, I was like, damn it. I got to get her. I got to take her phone and get her the IMDB app and show her how to use it. That will save so much time in my life. And I got to get this app for you and me at the end Madden, of the episode. Richard Madden. Jesus Richard Christ. Madden. That Thank took forever you. for me to find in real time. <laughs> Richard Madden, Cyclops. But he's already in the Eternals, so no, it can't be him. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going. <laughs> Glad we landed there. <laughs> who's, his, uh, who's his rival in the Kingsman franchises? Son like, of a bitch, have, Mike. Does he have one? <laughs> Do you, are you ready for a new Wolverine? Yes. Yes, I'm ready because, I mean, Marvel can do it. They can pull it off. They're good enough to do it. They they got to probably go back to the original suit. They got to pull that part off. And they, they don't want to hammer home the old uh, origin story for the hundredth time. 
So they got to be smart in how they kind of just begin in media race. You know, we've seen the Phoenix saga play out twice mm-hmm. with with diminishing returns. My God. How about so a make, female Cyclops? Yeah, I think you can, you know, get innovative with the casting. I don't think it's that hard. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's uh, a way to do it with the comics, because I'm sure the comics have gone there already, right? I mean, we should know these things. We don't. Mm, it's true. We do not. We should end. We should, we should get end. out of Dodge here. We should do a whole episode on casting the X Men. <laughs> we should have done it already, <laughs> guys. <laughs> As always, what matters to us most are your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns. Uh, We want to know what you think about the trailers we started off the show with, about any of the casting we ended the show with, anything in the middle. You can leave us all of those, as well as any other, like I said, thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. Leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasting. You're listening to us on either the Spotify or Apple podcast podcast app if you appreciate what we do here if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review those help us out a lot thank you if you have done so already michael what is coming next from us and let's have some words of wisdom to end on it is wise to uh you know explore movie theaters and and find the movie that you like and uh yeah seek them out out of that movie is mrs harris maybe maybe you can find (laughs) diamonds in the rough but look at every weekend here, Michael, we're going to have three and four new releases. So I think, you know, knowing some of these films, we've seen them at film festivals and whatnot. There's Resurrection from IFC, which is a weird watch, a heavy watch, but it worked for me. And then you have Vengeance from, uh, oh, who did Vengeance now? Anyway, but B- BJ Novak there, I saw Tribeca. I know those films are coming out. I know Colby Mack's been a huge fan of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies that he saw at South By. So you, this is the time for those movies to actually hit and hopefully uh, find an audience. 3,000 Years of Longing, which was a hit at Cannes, end of August. So, yeah, let's be optimistic for a half a second and say it's not going to tank the box office overall and, and these films will continue to be profitable like we've seen the counter programming be very profitable up till now every all the crap i've talked about crawdads crawdads is going to make money we think based sure. on the new budget so it's true it's a good point it's wise to to find your movies out there and keep going to movie theaters uh what's coming next from us we're going to movie theaters we're going to see nope and we can't wait and i I'm going to talk myself down, but I'm probably going to do that off air because I don't know if we're going to record another episode before. Nope. It'll be, the, you know, for the for the end of this week for you guys. And otherwise, we may do a quick and dirty episode on Halloween ends if that trailer re- mm-hmm. reaction is is got to be had in like a 15 to 30 minutes thing. I, I wanted to pitch that to you. I'm sure you're game. I'm guessing. Jamie Lee Curtis needs to not die or they need to simultaneously die. All right. So that's a teaser. Um, if both simultaneously die, how is it going to happen? And what in this trailer is going to suggest that it may happen? How are, how are you going to read into it? I am fully expecting the trailer to end with one of those shots from a crane shot from above. That's twisting and turning that Jamie Lee Curtis is like laid out on her back to give us the, the impression that she's dead. Maybe Michael standing over her. One of those shots. Shouldn't she could be a misdirect could be a misdirect but we've already had that misdirect no how in 2018 
we had exactly that misdirect. Not in the trailer. Not in the trailer, but in the film. Well, yeah, but she lived. <laughs> so, Clearly. who cares? Who cares what happened then? <laughs> you want the same. What have you What have you done for me lately? You know? <laughs> Are you worried after Halloween Kills wasn't as good? Of course. Mm-hmm. How worried? How worried are you about Halloween Ends after the last film? I think the second in a trilogy is always toughest to make people care about, and that's what why Empire is like so stunning. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the second movie in any trilogy is—I mean, I don't even—the Godfather Part Two isn't the second in a trilogy because that wasn't planned to be a trilogy. Stop right. it! But I, I think it's always hard to get people to invest if they know another movie is coming in that second movie. So they tried stuff. Some worked. Some a lot didn't. I don't really fault them for it. But David Gordon Green seems more than capable. I wonder if there's some fatigue out there since this movie's been delayed for about two years now. We'll see. Is there a motif for this one? Because fire was the motif in the last one. Do they have a motif yet that you're guessing? Is it water? No, I hope not. I'd be blood. Ew. Yeah. I expect it to be quite gory. All right. I like that. I like that. I like where your head's at. Mm -hmm. All right. So we'll have to, we'll have to take your temperature at some point with the Halloween ends trailer reaction. That'll be at the very latest to kick off your next week, because I'm sure we're going to do an Oscar race checkpoint after Comic-Con and all that news, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So we'll have more Oscar race checkpoints to come with all the film festival announcements and Comic-Con and, of course, Halloween ends and the ramp-up. There you go. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come get ready for the late summer. What is what, what season is it? Late summer, early fall scheduling with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See you.